This episode is sponsored by Interactive Brokers. Hey, financial advisors, are you looking to add or switch custodians? Are you going independent? Interactive Brokers provides low-cost trading and turnkey custody solutions for all size firms. Trade globally from a single integrated master account with no ticket charges, no custody fees, no minimums, and no tech platform or reporting fees. Plus, IBKR has no advisory team or prop trading groups to compete with you for your clients. Switch to the custody solutions that work for you at ibkr.com slash RIA. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. Oil prices nosedive after OPEC increases production. Just kidding. Short week, gearing up for Black Friday and Cyber Monday deals. The fallout from FTX, well, it keeps coming, going to take years to unwind. And our guest today is David Ackerman, Chief Compliance Officer for MobileCoin. All this and much more on episode number 792 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. A very good welcome to you, and thanks for joining me on the show, the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Come here each and every week. Rain, shine, snow, sleet, hail, no matter what it is, markets up, markets down, guests, no guests. We're spending our time together learning more about finance, investing, and all about our money. Because in the end, financial security is important. That's the bottom line. I'm Andrew Horowitz. For those of you that don't know me, been doing this for, I don't know, since 2007 or so, sitting in the chair, talking to you, talking to some great guests, educating myself, educating you, learning about everything there is to know about money. And this week is uh, no exception. Yeah, it's Thanksgiving, by the way. And it, I, I find Thanksgiving to be one of those great holidays because so many holidays require something, don't they? You know, the thing that we're... We have to deal with on Thanksgiving as family. And of course, the stress of how am I going to cook the turkey? Is it going to come out well? And we know last year was the year of the spatchcock, and this year is the year of the pickle brine. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to DH Unplugged, because we talked about that last week a bit, or this week actually, about what's going on last week. It was all about the smoker and the Traeger and the, pick, uh, the, the, the spatchcocking the turkey and how exciting of a way to fast forward the five hours or eight hours that you're dealing with this 18, 25 pound turkey into a very short period of time on the smoker. Well, this year we took our cue from the excitement over why is Chick-fil-A chicken so wonderful? It's because they use pickle juice to brine their chicken. So, hey, I bought a bunch of turkey breasts and I'm going to um, tell you that pickle brining, pretty good. It, it, it injects or absorbs a good amount of uh, pickle juice and salt into the turkey. It was pretty good. Um, but the point about Thanksgiving, why I like that about Thanksgiving, 
And this week, um, what it meant, you know, the Thursday off of the markets, half day for Friday, but really kind of closed, is that it just is an easy holiday. And uh, I think we all need that right now. And the, in, in the times that we have where everything is so difficult and the information out there that we're dealing with and the craziness of what's happening in the world, it's one of those times of the year, I think, that we could just sit back and relax, watch some football, drink some beers, have some turkey or not, stuff ourselves, and not feel like, you know, we have to do something else. There's no there's no requirements. There's no have-tos involved with this. So um, so I do wish you all, I mentioned this last week, but hopefully you had a great Thanksgiving. And here we are after Thanksgiving, moving into the rest of the year, right? That, that time period where not only lights go up outside the house, but... Uh, a lot of people are expecting lights to go off within markets where we have a situation where we have the Santa Claus rally. Now, unfortunately, one of the things that we did see was that October boom, and it looked like a uh, a, a rally that happened maybe too soon. And there was too much excitement. And the fact that the Dow Jones Industrial Average moved up last month and into this month as well so nicely to start the month off this month and last month, and then the follow-through with the S&P 500 to a degree, we saw the dollar come down, rates come down, but yet the economic numbers that we're seeing, eh, not so great. But the big issue right now that we're dealing with is the tide is out. And when the tide goes out, you've heard me talk about this, we see some things that are out there that are not so pretty. And one of the things we're seeing right now is the idea that, well, crypto has become a big problem. And the problem is not really necessarily for you or you or me, it's the bigger issue of the trust in the financial system and the players that are out there, the bad actors that are taking and twisting and turning and making a situation that could have been very good for people for, you know, fill in the blank for whatever reason it is. And they, and they just butchered it. They created a situation where it was all about them. It was all about money. Find a way to try to proselytize this, this, this new way of doing business transactions and currency and store of value and, you know, create all these really fancy words all around this. And then what happens? Well, they don't have the proper controls. Well, okay. We're going to talk about that with our guests because I want to spend some time, um, and I thought we'd keep it a little bit lighter today, but we're going to spend some time with David Ackman. Let's get right to that discussion because I think he's going to have a lot to say about this. As I mentioned, we're going to talk about cryptocurrency. We're going to talk about coin. We're going to talk about the things that went on. And our guest today is David Ackerman. He's a lawyer. He's an attorney in the United States. And uh, I'm going to read you the long bio because I think it's important to understand who we're talking to today and uh, the perspective that we're going to get. So he's an attorney in the United States in the U.S. and global compliance executive with over 15 years of experience fighting financial crime and uh, fraud and terrorism financing. He's uh, stood at the forefront of policymaking across five continents by providing legal, operational, and regulatory guidance to governments, regulatory organizations, law enforcement, financial intelligence units, global investment banks, sovereign wealth funds, and crypto exchanges. He's a member of the Alfred Lee Loomis Innovation Council at the Stimson Center, a recognized financial regulator, regulation expert, principal investigator, uh, published author, Finner Arbiter. Most recently serves as the head of compliance for mobile coin. So, David, we had you on a while ago, right? It's been a while. Oh, yeah. It's been definitely a long couple, time. A couple, three and years, I think. Two years, maybe? Yeah. Uh, maybe more than that, actually. I think because uh, eons ago, I think we 
we were the first, one of the first couple, like you and I were one of the first talking about when I believe in Florida, there was a case where a judge had ruled that Bitcoin was not money. Mm, and right. you and I kind of came to the same conclusion from very different angles where that was a, it, the, it was the lawyer's job to really educate the judge and they failed. They just, they did not explain what this thing was. So I find it interesting how this many years later, we're still talking about that same question, right? <laughs> what right. is this thing? What is it? What is it? Can you, can you, can you give me one? No. Well, can I see it now? <laughs> no, no, not really. What can I do with it? So uh, I have some things. We have to obviously start off with the, it's not even an elephant in the room. It's a hairball in the room uh, with our, our, our favorite bankster, uh, you know, Bankman Freed. Uh, I call him Sam Bankman Fraud. You know, listen, uh, I know, by the way, I know that, uh, 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 at least I, I believe I know from my research, that MobileCoin got an investment from FTX, Right. Uh, to a certain extent, yes. But, so that but, was very, very early on in the stage, and they've long since been disconnected from the the, the organization. So the whole FTX thing, you know, is it, it, it was all of the uh, all the things that seemed really odd with not only Sam Bankman Freed, but his whole entourage living on a weird, you know, penthouse floor in some hotel slash condo in in the Bahamas, which of course he did because of the offshore nature of that. You know, you have offshore companies because you couldn't mix U.S. citizens utilizing non-U.S. platforms and vice versa, right? Um, did the whole thing stink to high health for you? Or as you wrote recently, it's a shock to the entire industry. Parallel is to the Bernie Madoff. He was a phenomenal talent with a stellar track record like those in traditional finance who didn't see Madoff. We did not see SBF coming. Please enlighten us. So if, if people believe that this person being weird was the only reason that we should have seen this coming, then you haven't been around crypto very long. There are some odd personalities in this industry. Why is that? Wait, well, let's stop right there. Why is that? Isn't that weird? Yeah. It's, it's an interesting question. Okay, because there's... Crypto in and of itself, cryptocurrencies is really just a subset of this idea of blockchain technology. And blockchain technology is based off of cryptography. It's based off of math. It's based off of computer science and computer engineering. And you tend to get in these areas some very interesting personalities um, now, obviously, that's not always the case. I'm not trying to disparage or talk down about anyone that choose these fields. They're brilliant, brilliant individuals, but have these boisterous personalities more often than not, especially the ones that are particularly successful. So the idea that SBF was an anomaly, and that's a reason we should have been looking at this person harder, is just it shows a complete lack of understanding of the actual space itself. But it was not just him. There was a whole string of things when you put it back together, you're like, oh, oh, mm, I, uh, well, you know, there's a lot of things that got a little bit crazy. And maybe it was because of the excessive amount of money that was being either generated or inappropriately leveraged. You know, you just create money. Listen, we know that when you create money out of thin air, like was done with the stimulus, People do crazy things. They start buying stuff. I'm not even talking about crypto side. I'm talking about just the general nature of people, right? 
you know, you all of a sudden you have free money. And what do you do? You just uh, you stuff, you know, you just do things. <laughs> and, and he was creating money like other crypto, I don't want to say platforms, but uh, other coins. Basically, it's creation out of nothing, isn't it not? With an idea, with a white paper, not all of them, but some of them that just was like, hey, do you like what we do? Give us money. There was a lot of so, that going on. There was a lot of that going on. And like like a lot of situations similar to this in traditional finance, it is a perfect storm of, you know, miserables, right? Um, you had an area where money was free, essentially, right? The discount window was next to nothing. You had a ton of people with cash at rest who were looking to fund products. You had a massive influx of talent, myself included, coming from engineering from traditional finance from legal from um wherever right everybody was flocking to this industry so when you when you have this combination now in terms of creating money out of thin air i mean you and i have been doing this a long time in a various different like in various different areas of the traditional finance market structure right we've seen wealth creation in a number of different ways whether it's leverage whether it's um, you know, the invention of different types of tranches or baskets or or re rethinking old things. But something I want to come back to that you'd said, it's this is the same story, different players. Oh, yeah. It yeah, is yeah. greed. Yeah. It is bad actors, you know, a, bad actors. Right. And, and just and the fact well, like if you also, take the word the crypto is, out of it. Yeah, but the difference is it create, but it was the mathematicians. Listen, ask me why I have mathematic um, wizards and professors as clients, because just because they're good with math does not mean they're good with money. That's just number one. Okay. Could not agree with you more. Okay. And, you know, pick any particular area of, of, of life, right? You know, if you're good with arts, you could be good with money, but I'm just saying this one does not uh, confirm the other. The, the thing though, is that they were really good at, well, let me say one thing. This is something that's dawned on me recently as, as, as what has gone on here. A lot of the change that has been brought about or has been desired seems to be more about the idea and the desire to have change for the sake of change rather than anything else. You know, we have things like Venmo. You know, I saw Michael Saylor all excited on some kind of video that people were moving their phones next to each other and paying each other in Bitcoin. I'm like, yeah, I don't get it. Like, what? <laughs> uh... I can do that. First of all, I have this crazy thing. If I owe you $10, I can hand you $10. I could write you a check. Okay, that doesn't clear well, and there's other problems with that. Fine. I could Venmo you. I can Zell you. I can PayPal you. There's a thousand, Cash App you. I could do a thousand different ways of barter, for that matter, if I wanted to, right? I don't understand why they're getting all jacked up about stuff that's the same as it was, just using a different vehicle that, frankly, is not as safe. I don't get it. Okay, so there's a lot in there, and I think let's let's step up a little bit and kind of move up above the clouds for half a second. Right, I think yep. what you and I are dancing around yep, is, yep. why should we care, right? Why should the average person care about this thing called cryptocurrency or whatever blockchain is? Mm -hmm. um, interestingly enough, I, I imagine people having the sim same or similar conversations around the birth of the internet, right? Why should I care? What, how is this going to change my life? 
well, how is this going to affect me? So here are the areas that I can, at least I can identify for your listeners. Um, cryptocurrencies in and of themselves are, are, are interesting, right? And for a long time, and I think you'd mentioned this earlier, they were a solution in search of a problem. Right. And people knew that they had this new innovation, but they didn't know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. So that's when you started getting people experimenting. And um, in a lot of ways, I and I know that this is a, you know, it is a horrible situation. I hate it when I see uh, traditional or mom and pop investors or anybody, quite frankly, get taken advantage of because of some other bad actors. But in terms of the industry in and of itself, Number one, something like this was bound to happen somewhere. I didn't. I don't necessarily think anyone saw it at this scale, <clears throat> but this was bound to happen. Mm -hmm. And then number two, um, there's going to be a lot of good out of this. There are going to be companies that fail, companies that don't have a value proposition, that don't have a a so what attached to their company name. There's going to be companies that, um, because money is no longer free, essentially, and because VCs aren't throwing you know, hundreds of millions of dollars at every crypto project that they're going to run out of money because they can't demonstrate value or they can't demonstrate a solution to a problem and they're going to go under. And what you're going to be left with are a series of companies that actually know what they're doing. They, they know who they are in terms of the type of value they're trying to bring to investors, to people, to, you know, society. And, and that's what we're going to see really start to flourish. So I just wanted to start there before we get into the idea of like, what do we do with it? Just to think of like, okay, well, what is it? What, what is this, this, this ecosystem that everyone seems to be talking about? The thing that bothers me is that when you get the evangelists are talking about things, listen, the chiropractor that says, if I, if I, if I crack your neck, your allergies are going to be gone. Now you may laugh at that, but the chiropractor doesn't laugh at that. And anybody that I said, what are you kidding me? What? He says, you know what? I'm telling you, I've seen it. It works. Meanwhile, I talk to a bunch of people. How are your allergies? <laughs> you know, nothing's <laughs> after the after the um, chiropractor. Or, you know, you look at these various uh, players out there that are like, you know, talking about how non-crypto for a second. I'm not talking about that, even though it's similar. Uh, oh, you know, the dollar is going to crash and currency is gone. You need to be in gold or whatever. Any evangelist, I don't understand how we go to a point with cryptocurrency solves inequality based on race. I, I just don't understand it. Am oh, I, am I um, missing something? Yes. I think you're missing one very important oh, point. So, okay. so the, the evangelists that say that cryptocurrency is going to be the, the cure all the magic bullet that solves everything. Mm hmm. Um, I think the point that you're missing is they're morons. Oh. <laughs> they don't actually know how the financial system works. Right. Eventually, um, what's going to They're kids. Now, they're kids that get caught up in bullshit. Not necessarily. Some of them are some of them are actually very sophisticated investors that got caught up either in the hype or just, you know, what's the quickest way to sell sell a salesman? Let them sell themselves. Mm. So, you know, one of the reasons my my role even exists in compliance is I protect the market. I protect the investors. I protect the company from itself sometimes. And there's, you know, in, in this particular situation, there was just a series of controls that failed. But the idea that that crypto is going to be 
this this savior is irrational in my opinion may that happen one day who knows i don't have a crystal ball and even if i did i wouldn't be on this show yeah so so wait so the, now, um, david so david you, you this is a great segue into something that has been i've been scratching my head about you were the head of compliance for mobile coin right that's what we know um yes. You were involved in the regular, the the you know the, the the financial industry for a while, and with Finner and all that. So when you were uh, an attorney or a chief compliance officer or head of compliance, what a compliance something or other, uh, you're 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 going through a a book of rules, if you will, that are that are pushed upon you and that you are required to live by, right? Yes. There's a regulatory agency of some, maybe maybe more than one, by the way. There may be more than one regulatory agency of the same thing. But there's a book. This is, you know what? Um, you're not to hold customer assets in in in, in commingled accounts. I'm making this up. You know, you're not allowed to trade ahead. You're not allowed to do this or that, whatever it may be. You're not allowed to 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 overcharge uh, according to this table. I don't know whatever this regulation is. You're the chief compliance officer, but yet I am not aware of any regulatory body that you have to uh, provide your compliance to. Am I wrong? Uh, no. And so this is where things get insanely complicated. I'm sure. Um, and truthfully, this is kind of the fun part for me because it's it's every day is a is a puzzle and a problem. Um, so. What most people don't necessarily appreciate is there is a big difference between being ethical and being compliant with the law. Correct. Now, obviously, it is best when those two things work together. But um, being compliant with the law means that you understand the rules of the board at which you are playing and that you set policies and procedures that are designed to ensure that those rules are followed. Crypto gets crazy because there is a hodgepodge of rules in finance that we don't necessarily know if they apply to crypto yet. So there are certain things that always apply, right? Fraud. We know you can't do fraud. Um, uh, things like um, any money laundering or you know, um, KYC, which is a, a term that's thrown around a lot, which means know your customer. So you have to know the people you're doing business with, and you have to know that you have policies and procedures in place to make sure that that people aren't laundering money. Okay, so these things are just table stakes because those are inter We're that's international law. Correct. Mm -hmm. So and and so that's a regulatory body. That's a regulatory body. That that in itself, right, is the legal the legal side of it. Right. And that's, but that's only one, one Correct. small sliver. Mm -hmm. Right. So one of the interesting things about the U S is, and you and I have definitely spoken about this before the regulatory arbitrage in the United States is nuts. Yeah. Depending upon what type of organization you have in finance, you could be regulated by up to 15 or 18 different agencies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's insanity. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. And at the end of the day, it works. Right. Whenever it works something because you happens, have to, you have to, you have to, because any one organization, this multitude of oversight boards, regulatory bodies, has to go to the most stringent of all in terms of their business operations, right? That's completely that's, true. Yeah, Ab absolutely. So that's accurate. it. So then the other ones just fall right in line. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. Right. 
So with crypto, the threshold question is, who regulates us? What are we, right? So if um, FTX was a an exchange, which for the most part was unregulated because they're not a financial exchange. They're not an equities exchange. They're not, you know, crypto is a, we, we don't necessarily know what it is yet. Some people claim it's a security and in some cases they're right. Some people claim that it's a commodity and in some cases they're right. Some people claim it's neither one. In some cases, they're right. So, you know, the the hard part for people like me is helping in all of this uncertainty, number one, coming up with a clear and cogent strategy. And number two is communicating that not just internally, but to the rest of the world, as if to say, these are the things that, that you, um, person who is using my service or investor or whoever you are needs to think about these are the risks and i'm trying to communicate that to you as best i can and it's hard let's take a break right there let's just stop for one second i want to just we have a lot to talk about but i wanted to mention interactive brokers because they have a really cool program out there for everybody listening right now you have to ask yourself are you and of course you are are you looking for ways to earn extra income well interactive brokers stock yield enhancement program lets you earn extra income on fully paid shares of stock in your brokerage account. And here's how it works. They lend your shares to traders who pay you interest to borrow them. You receive a total of 50% of the income earned. It's that simple. Just open an interactive broker's account today and start earning extra income. It's a very simple process. And the nice thing is that you earn money on positions that are in your portfolio already. So, for example, if you're holding shares of, I don't know, Apple, Microsoft, whatever it is, basically, if you think about holding for a long period of time, well, you could earn interest on those positions as well as they put them inside of their stock yield enhancement program. Really cool stuff. Go over to ibkr.com slash S-Y-E-P and check it out. Okay, so Dave, so let's get back to this for a second. I, the one thing that that really I think was the downfall and that was the biggest concern that wasn't, you know, you could talk about all the compliance and whether it was exchange now, but wasn't it all the crazy packaging and lending that was going on that really exposed a lot of the flaws uh, when there was excess volatility? So the truth is, and this is this is the truth as I see it. We don't actually know yet. And this is where... But I'm not talking about just FTX. I'm talking about like Celsius. I'm talking about these other guys that were doing these crazy... You know, you could, oh, put money here and you'll give you 15%. It was weird. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, leverage is leverage is leverage, okay? And then in, in markets, we you know, we've seen this time and time again in, in investment products or in any products, quite frankly, that there is minimal control over leverage and things like what happens after after it leaves the investor's hands i mean it's like i said same story different players right but in the in again the, and again and again we've, the seen, brokerage it, we've business, seen it blow up it's very strict on the amount of leverage you can utilize in a brokerage that's the absolutely problem. and for, for a reason right because <laughs> at some point well that's the thing about regulation no one ever like no one ever regulates something because they woke up one morning and they're like, wow, you know what? I really hate ETFs. Right. I'm going to go send a regulation out. Something happened where, you know, even take um, your, your investors, take their homes or take their apartments, 
right? You've got standards and practices of the way these things are built or how big a, a window has to be in a basement. Not because somebody woke up one day and felt like saying, well, I want everyone to change their windows to be 60 inches wide. It's, you know, what you don't see behind that is the fireman that got stuck and couldn't get out of a burning building. Listen, or what all you of us have to take was, our yeah. shoes off at the airport because of one shoe bomber. And it was only after the fact. I mean, there, there are some people that tell me stories from the long, long ago when the TSA didn't exist. I, I, I get it. He just walked right through. A little bit of a metal detector here or there. So are you in favor of regulatory regulation for the industry somehow? Some something. Um, absolutely. And how many times have you heard someone in compliance or even a lawyer say they want more regulation? It's it's not even necessarily more regulation. It's clarity. So that gives you job the, security too, my friend. Oh yeah, the, the <laughs> lawyer full employment act. Um, you know, that's when Dodd Frank first came out, and I saw that it was sixteen thousand pages long. I'm like, oh great, I'm never going to go hungry. Never. Um, yeah. So, and it's still not fully implemented, but then Dodd-Frank's a great example from the point when the White House turned around and said, we need something now. It still took a year. So this, the, these things do not happen quickly and they often happen on the backs of tragedies. And hopefully this is going to be a warning sign to both regulators and lawmakers alike that we need some clarity so that people like me can do our jobs and do it effectively. I find I find uh, that lurking in. So, as I recall, and this may not be the exact right timeline, but and, and there's probably a lot of holes in what I'm about to say. But I'm giving you a very very step back recollection on the whole purpose of cryptocurrency from you know way way back. The idea that we're going to have some decentralized currency that's no longer available and outside the reach of governments that can. Uh, you know, take it to um, uh, horrible levels by just reissuing or debasing and all that, then it was going to be untraceable, or at least it's going to be somewhat private, and it was going to be safe. Uh, these were big things that I recall in the beginning of the world of cryptocurrency was a big thing, right? It was going to be fast. It was going to be clean. It's going to be um, uh, 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 private. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be safe. These are not what we've morphed into. Well, some have and some haven't. Like one thing is to remember is that Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX were a player, a major player in this industry, but they were not the only player. You know, mm -hmm. being a voice of industry in Washington is not the only voice. There's um, there's a professional organization uh, called the Blockchain Association, which has over 105 member companies that advocate for their 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 perception of the world and how this should be done on the hill. Uh, we are one of them. So the there's a the use cases for cryptocurrency vary depending upon what the project is. And that's that gets really confusing for a lot of people. So for our company, for example, I tell everybody the same thing. Mobile coin is a payments company. That's it. That's we it. happen to use crypto as an implementation detail. Mm -hmm. And to your point earlier, when you were saying like, I have Venmo, I have um, Zelle. Why do I need something else? Why are people getting excited about this? If you've ever tried to send money overseas, it's hard. It's really hard. Yes, that is. And even well, that's some, difficult. Yes. Right, very. Right. And it's based off of a system that, quite frankly, you know, we invented in the late 1700s. 
So if you've watched your Hamilton, the, the system that that man came up with is not actually all that different than what we have now. It's faster and different and uses different technology, but the, the fundamental principles are the same. So the cool thing with, with cryptocurrencies, at least in the form of payments, is we could do things better, faster, cheaper, which gives you another option, right? It doesn't mean that it's going to always be the best option. Cash will sometimes be a better option than a debit card or a check will sometimes be a better option than a credit card. My uncle is like a second dad to me. Mm-hmm. Still doesn't have a credit card to this day mm. because why the hell would I need a credit card when I pay for everything in cash? Yeah, you can't argue with that. Right? I mean, so, but unless, whenever unless he needs something off of Amazon, he calls me up because I got to pay for it with a credit card. The fact is that, yes, uncle uh, is right, but there, there, you know, there are places that only take cash and some that only take credit card. I mean, there are those things that go on in life. Absolutely. But usually that's more of an operational mm-hmm. issue. Right. So for example, like, um, you know, I spent a lot of time in DC talking to lawmakers and, and I, I'm not joking. The single most often question I get is, well, that was the worst English I've ever had, but this, like the, <laughs> the, the question I get the most often is why should I care really? And, and, and they're being sincere when they ask that question so what I've managed to to explain to people is my, my dad was a small business owner mm-hmm. and most small businesses have, especially if you're a restaurant or something like that, um, your profit margins anywhere between six and seven percent, if you're lucky. Right. OK. Now, if you're taking credit cards, yeah, two percent, they take Whatever. two to three percent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. So if if we're designing a payment system using these new payment rails. And it is, as you say, it is actually safe mm-hmm. and it is actually fast right. and it works. And I'm able to cut that 3% down to 1% or a half a percent. Well, now all of a sudden you've doubled your profit margin. And that What works. does that do to small businesses? Now that, now that works. I agree with you there. But we are yep. in also an environment right now that's going to need a lot of healing because there is a lot of distrust. Because what has happened over the last six, let's just say six months, just six months, not to mention the hacking. That's another whole avenue that's a big problem. This is like my recollection of the Wild West of when the stagecoach was being robbed is what is happening in a lot of areas of crypto. We hear for months we heard about all these hacks. Remember that? There was like a slew of them. And then all of a sudden we had the problem with the overleveraging as there was volatility and prices of various coins came down. Then we have some outright either fraud or just I don't know what's going on with FTX, stupidity, fraud, over leverage. Um, not, I, I don't know what it was. You know, something's just not right and nobody was looking. And once again, I can agree with you that there's a parallel to Madoff. The only difference was, and I'm going to come back to this. He's like, you know, who knew about Madoff? You know, Madoff's strategy was relatively, it was relatively well known. He used an option offset or an option arbitrage or an option enhancement strategy that basically he took stocks and he, you know, he bought 100 shares of Apple for your account and he bought you, uh, a, a, sold a cup of coal on it and supposedly you know made all this money doing so, right? The problem was I got statements from Madoff over the years. And I'm like, wow, look at that. So he's doing, uh, uh, last month he did the uh, option on, I'm going to go back to Apple, just use that as just an example. Um, he, oh, he had 200 shares. That means he bought two, uh, sold two options for my clients. I'm thinking, okay, okay, okay. This is, uh, has to be a lot of options being sold this month, right? I look, I can't find any volume on options. 
I'm like, how is this even possible? This is not only the small guy. He's got to be doing this in a big way. He's got billions of dollars. I told my clients, you know what? I don't understand what he's doing. I can't follow it. It makes no sense. There's no trackable and traceable process. Same thing with um, the guys down here that were ripping people off with the prepaid legal judgments. Remember that, Rothstein? Oh, yeah. Yeah, right down the block here. Right down the block. Everybody they know was like, hey, Andrew, should I get this? I'm like, dude, I am telling you, it makes no sense to me. No sense at all. You, you, you're telling me that throughout the years, all the stuff that was going on with, with how, why would Sam Bankman Freed buy up Celsius with all the debt? And what was the purpose of that? It was only to try to clear the industry's name, right? And get it covered <laughs> up? Maybe. That's all I it mean, was. there. <laughs> So when you're now, uh, I'll even I'll even add to your argument Um, how he made his money originally was that he noticed there was a massive arbitrage for trading Bitcoin at the time. Awesome. Between the the U.S. and Japan and Korea. He would literally Korea too. Korea too. Yeah. yeah. So he would literally fly back and forth. Right. And and find ways to sell it and and make that make that Delta and it made him a multimillionaire. He literally could have stopped there and been comfortable for the rest of his life. But no, he wants to start FTX. And then, and then the person that he helped that helped him start FTX was CZ, the owner of um, a different exchange. So Binance helped FTX get started and over time, now now you're thinking, all right, well, if this person, you know, there would be some, at least some loyalty there or some something where, but no, at a certain point, Sam and CZ got into an argument and Sam tried to destroy the person that helped him build his empire, not realizing that the person who helped him build his empire allowed him to build his empire. Mm-hmm. It wasn't help. Mm-hmm. It was it was because Binance is now the the giant dragon in the space. So, you know, there's a there are a lot of very, forget the law and forget finance and forget everything that you and I have basically studied our entire careers. There are just some very stupid decisions <laughs> that that defy logic for a human being. Right, you know, biting sure. the hand that sure. you or it's just agree well, to the point of like how much is enough? It's a thirty-year-old, okay, that seemingly his 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 business life was is as, as unkempt as his personal life. That's what the end of the story is. You know, he says, "If I was more careful, dude, if you're more careful, you comb your hair, you change your shirt. If you were more, uh, if I was more focused, if you're more focused, maybe you would have like you know slept a few more hours in a comfortable bed." You know, I mean, just stupid things, but okay, whatever. Let's go to the whole idea of the concern that you have about uh, the potential for a national security issue if it's left unchecked. You, you've talked this about it. definitely. It's imperative to, yeah. for, for the United States to lead in this. Um, we, we cannot sit on the sidelines anymore. So I, I've only been in this industry maybe for about a year and a half per se, like full time. And in that time, I can tell you flat out that there are a lot of firms, there are a lot of companies that can't bring somebody on like me with my experience and my background. So 
you've got a lot of firms out there that are experimenting with a ton of money because VCs were throwing it out left and right, but that they don't know where the safeguards are. Why, so why, one wait, of wait, two, wait, wait, I need to stop you. Why can't they bring you on? Why can't they be bringing people like you on? Is it because they have so much shit going on that they would just be shut down? Or is it because they can't afford it or what? Um, sometimes it's because they can't afford it. Sometimes it's because they they don't, like, if they're still in a testing phase, a lot of these companies, they, they consider themselves tech companies. Mm -mm. They don't consider themselves finance companies. So, you know, sometimes it's ignorance. You've got younger CEOs who just don't necessarily understand that they are regulated because they're misconceptualizing how their business operates. You know, so there's there's a lot of speculation in terms of what is the right thing to do and some of that is actually driven by the fact that we don't know a lot of answers to these questions we don't know so let me let me take a step back for a second andrew like the the art in what i do and my my mom was an art teacher she taught me how to mm -hmm. think in abstract right mm -hmm. um there will be a rule or a law or something that is passed that says you have to do, you know, this, that, and the other thing so that it's reasonably designed to prevent bad people from doing bad things. Cool. Great. They don't exactly tell you how to do it, but they tell you what that North Star is. And then what, what enforcement is supposed to do is help us plot almost on a graph what works, what's permissible and what's not. So if we know that, okay, X plus four is too much, but X plus one is okay. Well, what about X plus two? What about X plus three? And that's going to be, you know, a lot of that has to do with the facts and circumstances of the business. So the art form in what people like me do is we take all of those data points from enforcement and we say, okay, we can kind of draw a line. It's a little wavy, but we kind of get like, where the guardrails are, what is allowed and what is not allowed, what is going to protect investors and protect people's money, and what is out of the bounds of possibility. So because we don't have that North Star in a lot of these questions, even determining what is and is not a security needs an advanced knowledge of the Howey test that we have yet to determine in a, either in a court of law or um, through through enforcement, how that's applied to cryptocurrencies. So long-winded way of saying, um, because of this, a lot of companies are deciding to go offshore, like FTX. But we were FTX in the US, International. You were not, I was not allowed to trade in that. Correct. Yeah. And, and, and over the years, when I, when I re researched all of the different platforms, uh, where there was a uh, you know certain uh, U.S. based and non-U.S. One of the big differences was in U.S. you weren't allowed at the time to leverage to margin up on and short to a degree, right? That changed a bit, but but there was no shorting, whereas internationally you could. So even in the U.S. you could to a certain extent because if if those rules will only apply if the thing that you're talking about is a security. If it's not a security, if it's something else. There was rules by the exchanges, I guess. That's what it was, more so in the U.S. versus the non-U.S. Right, exactly. And, okay, so to illustrate my point and yours at the same time, 
I'll give you two parallel examples, right? You have Coinbase, which is US based. Mm -hmm. um, they have done everything in their power to do things right, to marry ethics with compliance with the law. They have worked with every major regulator. They have worked with um, NYDFS, which is the New York State Department of Financial Services. They've worked with FinCEN, all of these heavy hitting regulatory agencies to try to do it right. Number one, they're still getting um, hit with lawsuits left and right. And number two, if you look at the size of Coinbase versus Binance, Binance is 10, 12, 15 orders of magnitude larger than Coinbase because Binance does not have those controls. So in order for us to remain competitive and to protect ourselves, it is incumbent on us to make sure that these programs and these companies and these startups stay home. And a lot of ways we're going to do that is by being a little bit more understanding that the more questions that somebody like me has to answer, the harder it is to operate and do business, the more, the more incentive there is to go overseas. And that's getting, that's getting to the point where it's that's, getting dangerous. Yeah. I, you know what, you know how there's phrases in life, like the, the, the golden rule, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, you know, those kinds of things, right? I have a very simple thing. And I talked about this in last week's uh, episode. It's a very simple, I think if you write this down, please, for when you're helping craft the regulatory environment, when it comes to cryptocurrency, do not let children play with matches. That's as I, what I see is yeah. went on here. Uh, it, it, at least, at least incentivize them to start looking for adults at the table. Adults at the table and a fire extinguisher in the room at the same time. The fact is that, you know, we have a lot of people that just thought that they could get away. And it also came, like you said, a perfect storm, right? You know, the perfect storm, storm of miserables you said to begin with. We had free money. The idea that since 2008, every single thing was bailed out no matter what it was. So what the hell? Let's just risk it to the hilt. You know, let's, what, you know, I always say, if, if, if you have zero interest rates for loans, how much money do you borrow? The answer is, there's only one answer. That's all of it. As right? much as you possibly yeah, can. Are you all kidding? Of it, all of it. So that's what went on. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden we have a change in the dynamic of, of what's happening in terms of cost factors and that changes. But when we look at the cryptocurrencies and exchanges, the exchanges, right, there's, like, why don't you just take a moment? I think this is important. Can you can you draw a differential between exchanges and coin slash projects? Oh, absolutely. Um, so think of an exchange just the way you would, let's say, the NASDAQ or the NICE or um, any other centralized location. Okay. And I think what a lot of people don't necessarily understand about any exchange is that um, – there's a quid pro quo between the market and the exchange. There, there is a lot of information that is being given to very few players in, in hopes to increase security, increase privacy, um, increase liquidity. So to make things more efficient. So we centralize a lot of this stuff into very um, small numbers of organizations, exchanges, now, the downside with that is, and why they're so heavily regulated, is it makes these exchanges insanely powerful. 
because they have access to a ton of information that nobody else has. And if you think about it logically, it also creates this inherent conflict of interest. Yeah, inherent. Be right? I agree. Their job is to make money, and now they have something that nobody else has. They have access to information. So a crypto exchange has all of that power and all of that centralization and all of that information, but none of the guide rails and none of the, the systems of checks and balances that a traditional exchange has, that an equities exchange has, or a commodities exchange has. Which makes no sense to me, by the way, but continue. And But that's the world that we were living I, in. I understand that. And, I'm just telling you, it makes no sense. Yeah. Um, and, and believe me, people like me were saying like, listen, this is a recipe for disaster. We, we, we're trying to help. We were trying to engage. So, so the exchanges themselves are there for one purpose and one purpose alone, to allow people to get into and out of these different cryptocurrencies. Mm -hmm. Now, how that's different than the individual projects is um, when you're evaluating a stock or an equity or some other instrument, uh, I love your process in particular because it's based on fundamentals. It's based on what you and I have literally been taught our entire careers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Who is it? Who's controlling it? What's their value proposition? What's their history? You know, looking at this from a very objective standard and saying, okay, how much am I willing to value what has happened versus what I think it's going to happen? And then planning accordingly. The a lot of the projects right now, there's something like 8,000 cryptocurrencies out there. A lot of those projects, if you dig into what makes them valuable, a lot of them only have value because people choose to believe they do. Yeah. It's not it's not based on any fundamental. It's not based on a company or it's not based on it's a, a value it's proposition. A it's a hope and a dream. That's it. Hope and a dream. So, Hope and a dream coin. Let's do that. Hope and a dream coin. <laughs> I mean, look at Dogecoin. That's, like, or, or, even, the, even the inventor of that, I mean, that's that's a whole different thing. That's a whole different thing. I still, so, call, I still call it doggy coin, by the way. I, I I did for a very long time until one of the engineers on my team is like, Dave, you got to stop, please. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I think um, it was originally called Doge, doggy coin. I think that was what the, uh, in, the, the inventor called it. I, I just learned how to spell FTX recently, so I'm probably not the best person to ask. But like, but to, to put it to, to put a real exclamation point on this, though, um, it's times like this, and I don't care what industry you're in, but it's times like this that leaders need to step up, right? It's one of the reasons why we reached back out to you. It's one of the reasons why I was in DC last week. Um, the the people that are trying to do it right, that are trying to add value to society that are trying to put the guide rails on an industry and and rebuild consumer confidence we have to step out of the shadows and we have to start talking and we have to start helping people to realize like there are companies out there that are worth something more than because you believe it but because they're actually trying to build something yeah, or, or or that you have uh, a paid celebrity host or influencer pumping it and that's a big issue. Do you think there's going to be a big blowback uh, that will be potentially a real problem for some of these major? I'm not saying Tom Brady. I'm not mentioning him. I'm not even talking about Kardashian or or or, or Larry David. But let's leave them out of the discussion. But let's just say there was a celebrity that was pumping this stuff during I don't know some major sporting event. 
I doubt it. Truthfully, you doubt that's I mean, going to hold. I, I would, I would agree with you. I think it's going to be like the paid spokesperson, Larry David. By the way, was the whole time going, nah, no good. So maybe, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he, he was the only one that was right. Um, <laughs> but you know what? Like when I was a kid, you know, I'm five foot ten and I'm Italian, and I bought Air Jordans, and guess what? Ah. I didn't jump any higher. Yeah, true. So, you know, like there going after a, a celebrity or a spokesperson for peddling uh, a wares is it's theater. It's, it's part of the theater that we live in. Um, it's, it's, it's meant for headlines. It's meant for shock and awe factor. But when the adults sit down at the table, like I said, this is a leadership moment. Um, I have, I've been engaged with the department of Homeland security with secret service with treasury and one of my jobs has been to use my background and experience to explain to them like, hey, this is, you know, we're not necessarily vulnerable from a law enforcement or a regulatory perspective, but this is what you need to watch out for. These are the things that we need to watch. And that's those are the conversations that are worthwhile, but you're never going to see that in the headlines. If you were a betting man, when would you say that if regulation, and of course it takes a long time to to go, we can't even get, we can't even get a, a substantive discussion about if regulation is going to be worked on, right? But but how long are we talking about for regulation that could put the industry in a way that it makes it, I don't know about safer or per se, but it makes it more um, uh, trusted again? Uh, so from the federal level, I'd say probably about a year. Experience has taught me that following situations like this um, when enough people want it, you know, there's, there's too much money and there's too much talent in this field for it to go away. So everyone that's like turning around and saying crypto's finally gone and they're celebrating this, which by the way is disgusting. I hate it when people celebrate a tragedy, but yeah. when they're celebrating this saying crypto's gone, um, you know, they're going to sound like the same people that said, Oh, the internet, that was a fad. Mm. Like it just, it just means that you don't, you're not taking the time to truly understand where the value could be and but the so uh lummis and Gillibrand have a bill out there that has a lot of potential it's not perfect but um it's getting worked on and and they're soliciting information from a lot of different players from industry from law, other lawmakers from you know law enforcement uh, they're doing things very smart there are a lot of people who care uh, states are stepping up in a big way. New York is is leading the charge, I would argue, in a lot of, in a huge capacity, actually, um, to the point where there are certain federal agencies that are taking their lead from the areas in which NYDFS is looking. But I mean, the ultimately, truth is they're it's going to be down to companies. Recreate the wheel here. They have a they have a framework already that they can you know adjust. To, we we have exchanges already, so okay, we know what exchanges do. We have stocks, we have IPOs, we have, you know, there's certain things that could be utilized. Again, it's not starting from scratch on everything. Absolutely. And most regulation doesn't work that way, right? It's uh, it's not like it's not like we come up with a new type of equity instrument or a new type of investment product and now all of a sudden a new regulator jumps up, right? We take we take what it is and try to fit it into a bucket that right. already exists. It's like a recipe. You know, it, Add a little more salt, a little more sugar. It's, yeah, it's a little different. That's it. It's it's important to remember how young this industry actually is, truthfully. And it's it's 
the competitive landscape is going to change very, very quickly. But the more the more we can we can understand how we fit into the current regulatory landscape, the more we can keep jobs in the U.S., the more we can protect people, the more we can start getting a competitive advantage over others who want to dominate the space like China. The bottom line is don't let children play with matches, number one. Number two, you're not going to be a billionaire overnight and stop trying to be so. And number three, a little humility would go a long way in this industry. I mean, I love me. I think I'm great. Yeah, but well, I mean, for are. everybody else, yeah. that works. Yeah. No, but, that, but I think yeah. that would be the case. If we could just chill out a little bit on, you know, the get rich quick overnight, but, and, then, and then it turns into a real nasty scam deal, um, or, you know, everybody else getting away with this, why not us? And then just, you know, maybe, maybe it's not all about getting rich by 23 years old, uh, by twisting up all sorts of code to make it look good and utilizing, you know, uh, nearing fraudulent uh, one-pagers to say what this is going to do when you really have nothing behind it. So I get it. We, we're Andrew, I will tell it's you, crazy. It's crazy here. Crazy. If there's any one takeaway I would hope your listeners get. Yes. It's, it is simply put, if it's too good to be true, mm. it probably is. That is never going to stop being the case. I don't care if it's crypto or if it's, you know, the next big thing, whatever that ends up being in 10 or 15 years. If it's too good to be true, it probably is. Yeah. We're going to leave it on that. David Ackerman, we're going to have all the information about who you are, your bio, where to find you, information about the company you work for now, et cetera, on thedisciplineinvestor.com, episode number 792, the show notes there. Thank you so much for joining me. Have a great end of the year. Great holiday. You too. Take care, bud. Thanks. And that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Make sure to leave comments over on um, Apple Podcasts or at Google Podcasts or any other app that you are finding us on. And do yourself and others a favor for me. And please do me a favor and just simply tell somebody about the show. You're going to be seeing people throughout the holiday. You're going to be spending time with family. Send them a link. Say, hey, listen to this guy. Pretty cool. Tweet it. Do something. Put it on Facebook, wherever you are. Make sure to let the world know that we're here helping people each and every week find their way towards financial security. I'm Andrew Horowitz. I'm out. Thank you so much for joining me again. I'll see you again next week. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company.